0: My next guest is an artist that is gifted in multiple art mediums he's a rapper that goes by graves 33 and is also part of a band recently he has gained recognition through his murals painted throughout the Seattle area most notably on various electrical boxes it's my pleasure to introduce Desmond Hansen
1: get a piece of I can't get a piece of
0: Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm with a very special guest, the one and only Desmond Hansen or Graves three 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 or three <laughs> three. So, dude, I, I first actually I want to start off with this music because I um I've seen your murals all around Seattle, and actually I want to do some type of collaboration with that, whether it's like making like a documentary or a video about it. But then when I did some more research, I found out that you're an actual like artist, like rapper. So. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kinda started rapping uh back in like the, you know, underground hip hop days and um, you know, kind of the glory period of, of the, you know, hip hop elements and uh you know, kinda got my my uh my start doing doing a lot of Djing and, and graffiti and uh that led to producing. Um, beats for my friends who rapped, and then um, after a while <laughs> after a while I noticed that I was making more beats than uh than they could write to so oh, wow. I just started writing to my own beats and uh yeah and then that turned into just it was just a lot of fun you know um and then yeah shortly after just started working into um you know releasing albums seriously and stuff like that. And then um, just kept it kind of like original, you know, organic following, never really, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people out there who would like get into promotion and get into all kinds of, you know, things like that. And then the second I, I started taking that stuff a little too serious, I realized that it was taking the fun away. Mm-hmm. you know and I would tour a bunch I would tour you know across the US and play little clubs and stuff with my friends but um, you know after a while you realize that it's kind of just like costing money you know um, unless you really try to take it all by storm and, and uh, you know stay on the road 24-7 And there came a point where I was having my son um, Isaiah and I realized it wouldn't be I wouldn't be a a great father for being on the road all the time and taking all this rap life all so serious, you know. Mm. So uh I started focusing more on art and things that I could do locally. Um and, you know, I mean prior to that I was I was painting and drawing and stuff and doing logos here and there, but it was never really like a serious thing until um when I started painting all this, you know, the boxes and things like that and uh bigger murals uh it started being more in the in the realm of possibility as a career move and just kind of like realized that i shouldn't neglect my uh my you know art side that i can always make music for fun you know and and uh yeah so that's kind of where i was
0: was music ever uh, something you wanted to take seriously or did it just like keep happening and you're, like, one day you're like, wow, I never thought I was going to get this serious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, music. I, I actually, there was a period towards the end where I was taking it a little too serious, you know, and like I shouldn't, I shouldn't fool myself because the music that I was making was still uh, very like underground or, or it didn't, you know. All my songs didn't really uh, relate to the masses necessarily, and so I realized that you know I should probably just focus on producing beats and just because some of the stuff I talk about in my in my raps is a little like esoteric and you know inside jokes to me and my friends and stuff like that. um, But anyway, so I realized you know if I was to try to take it. and 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 focus on it full time it would probably cost me a lot of money and then in the end I don't know exactly if it would be I think I would I would probably end up and and it's you know a bad way of thinking probably but um, I'd probably end up you know spending more money than I'm making
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh that's not, and then being away from my family for so long, you know, like, because really in the music industry, the, the real way to, to get traction is, is to be on the road.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Sometimes I feel like we might, tr- like as an artist, we might trick ourselves into thinking that everything's an investment, but you definitely have to weigh out the things like, is this taking too much time away from my family? If this is something I actually want to do, do I even want a family? Mm-hmm. Things like that. So everything you have to weigh it out. So I think that's actually um, important for people to know that you some, someday you do you might wake up and be like, "Is this actually what I want to do?"
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's all about time and energy and what do you get back out of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And in the music industry, I would at least reach a lot of frustrations unfortunately there's a lot of uh times where you put a lot of effort in and and then maybe a promoter doesn't promote the show right and you you know show up to their city and they didn't even put out flyers or anything and you go like well how do you expect to even fill this this crowd you know Mm. oh you know that kind of stuff is just stuff you deal with um it's in every industry there's always going to be a lazy footed person um but I was always putting in extra effort in most of the people I toured with and all my friends, you can, they, they would all vouch for, I was like a really hard worker. Um, and I just wanted to have a good time. I always related it to like, when I was a kid, we would throw house parties, you know, in high school and, uh, and those would be packed, you know, those would be, we'd have like a hundred people just, just kicking it. And we'd be DJing and stuff, you know, and then, now you you throw a show, and you go out on a limb to be your own promoter in your own city, and you do extra effort and do all this stuff, and then ten people show up or fifteen people show up, you know, mm-hmm. that are strangers, and you know, you just kind of feel like, wow, you know, it is, it is what it is. But you know, I tried not to get bitter, and in the end, I just realized that if I kept on that route, I would be neglecting my art and my family. And, you know, I felt like if I, and I I was surrounded by so many great great painter friends of mine that uh, I would see what they're doing and I go, man, I should should pick the paintbrush back up or, you know, whatever. And uh, eventually I did and it felt really good. I mean, this Jimi Hendrix behind me is like one of the first oil paintings I ever did.
2: Oh and, shit! And,
1: um, <laughs> and that when I did that I went oh man I'm kind of I felt like like an instant addict you know like oh, I gotta get more paint gotta get more supplies you know
0: yeah that's yeah. dope that you found like your true calling and like I said just I think it's hard for some people to let go of what they want to do and they start you know being in a cycle and realizing it's not working out for them do you think that it might have been just the time and place for your music, or do you think just Seattle as a whole is maybe not the best place for an upcoming rappers or?
1: Um, well, I still do music. I have a group called Prior Prism, um, Prior Prism, not Prior Prism, uh, and uh, we do. We have like you know it's music that's kind of out there and real current sounding you know but the subject matter is more along the lines of like survivalist culture like you know how to start a fire with no flame and songs like that you know or like you know um but but it's kind of disguised as when you hear the music you go this might sound like some trap or something you know but Mm -hmm. you listen closely to what we're saying and so we still have fun in making music there might be a time in the future, and also with how things are going, like we'll probably release stuff because now you can you know touring isn't really like a part of the format for the whole push of an album now so um, at this point you can release things into the ether of the internet and see what happens and there's people out there supporting that stuff more than uh, or you know they're more likely to support now
0: mm-hmm. So, with your art fan base, do you think they know that you make music also, or do you think more people are kind of taking it back when they're like, "Oh, wait, he's not just a painter; he's also an artist"?
1: Um, I I tend to try to separate the two. Like, I try to keep them as you know, my rap life. That that's that was a whole separate um, side of me with the with what I look at as like a compartmentalized ego, you know. Mm. And I tried to shed that when I started doing my art so that I would be, you know, taking a little more serious as a professional and putting my real name on everything. Um, And once I did that, I realized, you know, if I, like say for instance, if I go to do a corporate gig, you know, and painting a big mural for someone like Google or something, Mm -hmm. right, and they want to research me, I don't want anyone to get turned off it and go research my music and then go, what is, you know, this guy's, and then have that be something that they either hire me or fire me on, you know? Mm. Uh, but, and also, cause I, I just wanted, you know, a clean slate for my art really. And then now they intermingle but also people want to dive even further and find out that I come from a musical family and that, you know, and that you know, they could dive even deeper and f- figure out who my dad is and go, wow, you know, uh, it's a creative lineage, really. Mm-hmm. I think I come from a legacy of, of creators, you know.
0: Do you think your dad helped you, ins- inspire you to start music in the beginning? Or? Oh, yeah. Because I feel like hip-hop's a interesting genre because it's like you just grow up with it and it's like something that you you can just freestyle with your friends and realize you're good or not good so sometimes family members do inspire hip-hop artists sometimes they don't so what was your experience like
1: yeah my dad uh it was really cool because my dad he was and my mom were both really facilitative um my dad's a musician who plays the guitar and so at a young age he kind of put me in in front of the drum set you know and I was so you had someone to jam with and keep some timing for them and uh... so around like i'd say around five i was pretty fluent in playing the drums or so five or six and then from the drums you know uh... played hardcore until i was about thirteen or fourteen every pretty much every day and uh... yeah and then so so that was influenced on me drums and then hip-hop drums is a are a huge part of hip-hop and so i gravitated to it really fast you know at a young age with like uh, mc hammer and vanilla ice and then nwa and cool mode d and krs one and all those guys and then that led to underground music i realized I, I was, really astonished when I was a teenager, when I started making beats, that there was an underground scene of hip-hop where people who didn't have money could actually, you know, put music out. Because mm-hmm. I always thought it was like, you need a record deal and all this stuff, you know. Um, and then, so, me and my friends would always, you know, tinker around when we'd be at my dad's house. I'd be, you know, on the drums or something, they'd be freestyling. And then my dad one day recorded us and then I made a beat out of a Frank Zappa loop uh, on it, on his boomerang pedal. Um, and then I went to my friend King Kaz's, or Kaz's house, you know, um, Zulu Nation, shout out to Kaz. Uh, he uh, taught me how to make a beat with DJ Scene on um, on an MPC 2000. And after that, it was like I had to, had to get one of those. They're crazy fun. Yeah, because around fourteen, I didn't have. We moved from one side of West Seattle to the other, and I had to sell my drum set because it wouldn't fit in our our house was smaller that we moved to. So I had to sell my drum set, and I was like, "Well, what can I do?" You know, I was just heavy into skateboarding back then, and so I kind of just my room turned into a little shrine of of you know paint everywhere and you know turntables and start collecting um records and making beats
0: damn that's crazy how do, how do you think the music scene has changed since you first started from when you were a kid to when you actually started putting out music until now or even oh, like yeah, you know hearing your dad explain it
1: yeah it's changed crazy i remember seeing videos of my dad um like old vhs's of him playing at bars you know and walking on tables and kicking over cups and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and so I kind of adopted that in my performances. Um, eventually, you know, and I, when I grew the, the gall to do it, but, uh, but yeah, it's changed a lot. I've uh, I've you know seen, what my dad, his the rock and roll scene was doing. Then I saw, um, later on, like the underground scene that influenced me of like going to Sage Francis shows and Hieroglyphics and all kinds of people, you know. Um, cool Keith and stuff, and and just seeing how those were huge crowds, too. You know, and people were there to, to have fun. You know, um, it's a trip. You know, to see how how everything's fluctuated, and and now to see what what you know the rap scene is doing and was doing before all this quarantine stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like it was. You know, and and personally the. The coolest one of the coolest thing is seeing my friends, or people I know, when did shows with, seeing them, take it, and throw the javelin super far. You know, like my friend Henri Osborne, from Grayskull, school. He's always stayed, uh, stayed on point, putting out good music and touring, and then, and then even just seeing like what Macklemore did. You know, we used to do shows with Macklemore. And be uh, top billing above him, you know, and he'd show up. And he always treated shows like they were like, even when they were underground shows, he would show up with like dancers and like, <laughs> you know, like he would have it all plotted out. We we knew he was taking that serious, you know. And uh, look what he did, you know. It's pretty cool.
0: Damn, do you stay in touch with the local music scene happening right now, or are you just focusing more on like your community and? oh yeah in that sense
1: yeah i really like uh a lot of the stuff our scene puts out i mean all the more gang stuff um you know think about kung fu grip it's mm-hmm. like there's lots of good groups out there that i just think are are perfect for seattle
0: do you know bryce bowden
1: i've heard that name i haven't i'm see. I need to do more research on, on, like, real current stuff because stuff happens so fast now where, like, someone someone really young can put out a couple singles and spark and just be on top fast. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you know, if you aren't listening, then people will say something, you know, a name like that, and I'll go, like, Ooh, now I got to research, yeah.
0: I'll send you some music because uh, there's good? some fucking talented people out there right now.
1: Nice, I I believe it, man, I mean, yeah, the list goes on, I mean, you keep going, I mean, Raz Simone puts out good music, um, who else from our uh, scene, XP, Experience, I mean, Tyler, hmm. uh, let's see, Gifted Gab, I mean, there's lots of good mm-hmm. stuff, Nacho Picasso, sure.
0: yes, I'm actually setting up an interview with him soon, I'm excited about that one.
1: Yeah, that's cool, he, he's a good guy. Try to get him to talk about uh, comic books. You know, he does art, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, he draws, he draws uh, like, cool like comic book characters, like, yoked out characters, you know.
0: Shit, that's dope. So, tell me about these murals. When did you start all this?
1: Um, well, I really started it when I realized that I didn't have enough uh, of, of a reference point to, to show people, you know, what I'm capable of. Like, I would get murals when I was younger and just kind of, um, ask the, the, uh, you know, say a business owner when I was younger would say, Hey, I need a mural. I'd say, okay, what's your, what's your logo? And, and I'd try to incorporate their logo, but then I would just do a big graffiti piece and, which is cool, you know, and you, you can really get good at that stuff too. But eventually I realized, you know, I should probably flex a little harder in the areas that, um, that I am impressed by, because I like like fantasy art and all kinds of crazy stuff, so um, I wanted to be able to exhibit some of that that I knew I was capable of, and just started, you know, donated a couple um, of those box murals. Um, The Jimi Hendrix was the first one that I did. Um, And then after that, my lawyer told me, you know, hey, we should probably talk to SDOT so that you can do a lot of these. And uh, so we got, you know, got emailing with those guys and ended up, you know, picking out all the locations in one scoop. And, and uh, yeah, from there just, and now doing a lot of mural work, uh, large scale, small scale, and just half of my time right now is spent um, bidding murals and going, giving, you know, estimates and planning and scheduling for murals so that. I'll have steady enough. Um, uh, my calendar will be filled up where after I leave a mural, I'll go to the next mural, and, and you know.
0: Mm. So how did it come about talking to S. Dot? Like, how was that? How did that conversation go about? Because it's like part of the city, and they're probably like weird about it at first, weren't they? Or
1: yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> they're. I mean, they were. They just tried to kind of. Uh, I think. I wouldn't say discourage is the is the right thing. They just didn't understand if it was a good idea for me to hand paint them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: First of all, and secondly, they were worried about using people's likenesses. Mm. So, both my lawyer and their lawyer had to look into that. And uh, they were just approving the artwork. And since it was me choosing all the all the artwork, and then they either said yes or no
2: mm.
1: on this stuff, which they said yes to all of them. Uh, they don't, you know, as long as there's no logos, profanity or, or, um, you know, explicit content, then they're okay really with whatever people's designs are for those boxes. Um, uh, usually they have people wrap them in this like mm. plastic kind of stuff. Um, it's almost like wallpaper or whatever. But uh, I told them I wanted to hand paint them, and that's where they were like, huh? But you know, so that took a lot of emailing and persuasion. Um, then after a few, now they now they refer me to people. Like people will come in and ask them, hey, how can we get some, some artwork on our boxes? And then they'll give that them my email or, or whatever. So I've been getting a little bit of commission work. Um, doing boxes in different places doing that
0: how much how much how much do you even charge to do like a box like that because it probably takes a long time
1: it all depends on the on the cause you know and and depends on the budget already set set up you know because I, I try to work with people's budgets even on other murals you know I because uh, there are some people who will offer you next to nothing Mm. but they don't they don't really know you know because there are some people who will do it for next to nothing too you know but it's not going to be always going to come out exactly how they want but sometimes it will if they find a young artist who's really hungry and just wants to do something and they're a good artist you know you'd be surprised at what some people do for free Mm -hmm. but i spent too many years doing free murals but now I mix a few in if it's the right cause. Like, mm. there's some people who I won't take their money and I'll do the mural, you know, even if there was money on the table. So
0: For sure. So what is what is even like the point of like an electrical box? I don't even know what it does. I just see them all over the fucking city and I'm like, what the heck does that even do?
1: Yeah, so anywhere there's an intersection with, with traffic lights because inside those boxes is... Is the basically the guts that control all the traffic lights, at oh. that intersection. So, like if they have like you know some type of where they have to switch it to a four-way stop blinking light, then they just go over there and there's a couple switches they flip inside the thing. Mm. Yeah.
0: Do you see do you see people ever trying to copy your type of style on like electrical boxes, or are you the only person in Seattle doing that?
1: Uh i've seen people do it now um but i don't i don't think i was the first by it by any means the only reason i started doing like portraits on them is because as you can see it on the Jimi hendrix back here it reminds me of the size those boxes remind me of the size of like a portrait that would be above a mant a fireplace mantle or something
2: uh-huh. and
1: so i just realized oh. I could probably get away with doing like an important iconic figure on each, you know, mm-hmm. box. And, uh, yeah. So it was pretty organic. The thought process of doing those that way. Um, but I think there's probably more people out there. I've seen people in Europe who have done boxes that are like photorealism, kind of like a birds and stuff, um, mm-hmm. that come out pretty cool. Uh, there's some other things I'm getting ready to do that are more like. I should, you'll have to see, but it's more like uh, 3D art where if you look at it at the right direction, you don't even see that there's a box there. It's just camouflaged into the background or, you know, wow. things like that, you know? I'm just going to get more creative with it. But there's people out there. Oh, I got the idea to do the boxes when I saw art on a box, but it wasn't hand-painted. It was a wrap. And I went, I didn't know it was a wrap. I just thought someone had painted it. It was out in Federal Way. It's like a a box of like an octopus and real cartoony looking, you know. And I was just like, oh, that would be cool. I wonder, you know, if there's any boxes in my neighborhood I, I could paint. And then when I looked at the box near me, and realized I had some dead space in between murals and stuff. I was like, I should probably go paint one. You know,
0: dope. Did is that um octopus probably by like Henry or something? Like, do you know much about that artist?
1: Yeah, Henry's Henry, Henry's a friend of mine. Uh, he's, oh shit. guy. Yeah, he um he actually came through for me one time when I went to paint uh, out at a festival at the gorge, and the promoter of the event forgot to get the paint my paint. And Henry was there, and he goes, "Oh, here, I got a bunch of paint here," and I had brought some some backup paint, anyways. But he actually had had some colors that I needed for the design that I wanted to do. Mm. And so he came through in the clutch, and from there it's like, I'm like, forever like Henry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, so he's a really good guy. Um, no, but it looked a lot like his type of art. Except for a little bit more a little bit more like comic booky kind of but but similar. Just underwater kind of octopus scene. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. I didn't I didn't even know if that was like his actual name, Henry, or like what it was. Like I just have always seen those paintings. I'm like, who the heck is this person? I'd love to reach out to that person sometime. But who started who started I, first? You or him? I
1: actually met him for the first time at Disneyland. It's really weird, yeah, cause well, I mean, just ironic. But I was, uh, we were both in line at a, at a, what is it the, the like, um, lagoon ride where you get, you know, it's like you're on a boat ride throughout a, a, river ride or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, and he there was, I saw a guy with the Henry hat. I was like, oh Henry, we're from Seattle, or whatever. And he was like, that's me. I'm just like oh cool man I'm an artist too And we just talked for a second Because we were kind of crossing paths In the you know zigzag line things You know (laughs) So and then that was real brief But then the next time we crossed paths We just chalked it up
0: Damn that's actually fucking insane Wow
1: He's a really cool guy I mean you you talk about Someone you can have some good conversations with He's, He's one of
0: them Have you guys collaborated at all?
1: No, we're, we're supposed to. Um, I'm trying to figure out a box for us or something, you know, like it's something we've talked about.
0: That's dope. That's really dope. Have you seen that? Um, there's that, I don't even know if it was like a, who did it, but there's that, that one, um, painting of like Barack Obama in Seattle on that garage. That's like red and blue.
1: Hmm. I haven't seen it.
0: Pa- I forget where in Seattle it is, but I always pass it. And it's like, like, right when he got elected, someone, like, painted it. Huh.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I painted hmm. one uh, a Barack Obama in Capitol Hill uh, in front of Uncle Ike's.
0: Hmm. I haven't seen it. That's a that's the thing I want to do, though. I want to freaking... Because how many locations have you painted of, like, the electrical boxes?
1: I think there's about 36 now, or 30,
0: 35 or 36. Damn.
1: Yeah man, it's uh it's pretty wild because when I first started doing this um, after the first box I painted, I had like a, a <clears throat> I literally had a dream at night that I had covered a lot of boxes, you know. And uh, I remember texting my friend and going like, "Hey, remember that Jimi Hendrix one? I think I'm gonna do more of them. I had this <laughs> this dream. I think it could be cool, you know."
0: That's actually crazy. I, I think of um, any time I see your boxes, I think of it like Pokemon, like catching a Pokemon card or some shit.
1: That's cool. Like, you know, we have an idea that we're working on for a, um, a app for those, for the boxes, that it's like a, a app just to kind of like a scavenger hunt type thing, right? Where mm-hmm. you can check like a checklist, you know, you've seen all the boxes or, or locate all the boxes. But With augmented realities, so when you go up to the box and you take a picture with your camera, in the app, all kinds of live stuff will start happening. In the you know, Uh, like things growing out of the ground, and there might be like you turn to the side, there might be like an animation of the figure, you know, talking to you or something, you know, or I don't know.
0: Dude, that actually sounds insane. And something I also have noticed. Is that it seems like the community is like very nice about your artwork. I never really see it defaced or fucking like someone putting up flyers on the boxes or anything like that. Do you see that at all?
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah, I just, I try to get around to it fast. Yeah, I mean, it gets, it's, there's been, been a few. (sighs) But it's been only a couple of people and I know who they are and I just, I just go and buff it. I just.
0: Damn. Do you think you have like, is it like painter competition throughout seattle or like Mm
1: -mm. no it's It's just just... rude people yeah it's just uh misled youth
0: misled youth Uh, oh my god you know
1: honestly like there's sometimes i'll have to go fix people putting uh mustaches on on the guys or Ah. stuff like that but it just comes with the territory i'm i don't get sickened by it at all because i used to be a graffiti writer And, um, Mm. I know some of those young kids who are doing that are like, they just don't know the right way to put their name up and they, they chose my venue, (laughs) you know, it's all, it's all good. And then, and not only that, but I don't own, like I have the permits to those boxes, but I purposefully Mm -hmm. leave like the backs of the boxes pretty blank so that Mm -hmm. if kids want to put their name up, go ahead and throw it up on the back. I'm not, I'm not going to cover that up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, or even the sides—if it's not too blatant on the sides, I won't trip on that. Um, but if you're on the character with it, then that's just disrespectful. Then, you For know, sure. it's super bad taste. But.
0: So how do how do people do those? Um, they're usually really awful. But like, how do people tag on like freeway signs or like on those train tracks over a freeway? Like, how do do you know how people do that? Do they just climb it or?
1: I tend to think usually they're pretty good the freeway sign stuff is pretty good because you're hanging on a freeway sign and you're painting. Mm. That's pretty tough to do, you know? So, uh, I mean it good in the best quality you could do for hanging up there, you know, I used to do, I've done a few of those when I was younger, you know, um, I was pretty, I'll, I'll not lie about it. I was pretty crazy with graffiti when I was young. Um, And so I I recognize where all that comes from, and it's really just you want the most permanent and uh, kind of like that's to them, to most graffiti writers, where you put it is as creative as how you put it. Mm. Um, And so I have respect for all forms of paint being put up within... Don't cover up the street signs where people can't see where they're going, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I'm not going to say go do that. I'm going to say that if you're an artist, then find a way to do, like, your good art however you can. Um, and some of those people who are put, just throwing their name up, they're really they're feeling adrenaline every time they, they go to write their name. So that's, that's influencing the quality of their work as they're going they're like just trying to scribble it up get up and keep going you know Mm -hmm. so in graffiti if you look at some people's tag right they've learned the quickest way to do that tag without having to let go of the cap so it's just it's called a one stroke right so they're just and so it just comes out as one they can just keep going and eventually if they get good at that they don't even have to be looking at the wall when they're doing it so they can watch their own back look around while they you know and keep going that Damn. kind of thing like is just the evolution of graffiti and it's just because there's a law against it and hopefully in the future there will be no laws against graffiti because mm-hmm. that's what I think needs to happen except for people will know better than to be going on pro- people's private property there's enough um, public space, walls, dumpsters, you know, things that eventually would evolve into great works of art. Mm-hmm. But there is a reason why it's all just tags and stuff is just because that's people on the go, you know. Mm. Um,
0: but don't don't companies like hire some people to like graffiti like a mural or something like on their side of their business or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, if it was, it was, if it was let go, like if you go to Europe and you see what they're doing in Europe with graffiti, there is cool murals everywhere. And most of them are illegal. Oh, wow. Yeah. But also they're illegal in the sense of they didn't get permission to do it. But if a cop was standing right there no one's putting cuffs on Mhm. you know, I just let him paint. The look and go. That is beautiful. A cop would look and go. That's beautiful. Cool, and just keep walking. For sure. In some parts, you know, like when I was in Germany, that's how it was.
0: Where do you think the best place that you've seen graffiti is? Is it probably outside of our country even?
1: It was beautiful to see how Germany, parts of Germany, were because you could tell that you could just tell that some of the pieces you were seeing were ten and fifteen years old. You know Damn. that they aren't—they are painting over anything. So you would see freeways where it's just, just whole, like for a mile and a half, just piece, 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 piece. Yeah, it was really cool to see that stuff, and then you'd see their trains painted and stuff like that too.
0: So how do people come up with their tags? Is it kind of like gain your own nickname, and then you just go off of that? Like how does? someone come up with their own tag?
1: I think it's different for a lot of people. Some people, it's a nickname that your friends have given you. Sometimes it's something you chose. Sometimes it's a combination of letters that might not even make sense. You just like the letters.
0: Mm. Do you have your own tag?
1: I mean, I used to write graves. That's, yeah, growing up was my, that's how I got graves, 33. Um, It's just from 15 from age 15 on that's what I wrote
0: what's the 33 mean
1: there's a there's a lot of significance behind that number and it pops up throughout my life but we used to do a lot of study on symbolism when I was doing music a lot with my as a part of a group called black lab productions and um, we would research you know documentaries and all kinds of stuff on symbolism and and 33 there's a lot behind that number and a lot of significance and it it pops up so much that i just said okay i'm going to adopt that also there was this other rapper in the area that went by greaves Mm. and uh he's also a friend of mine um shout out to, to greaves um and i told him one day i was like man people keep keep like because there would literally be people showing up to my show thinking it was his show going on this isn't greaves and i'm like grave no this is graves <laughs> writing A's, and you know what i mean and I, I would have to point that out and then and around that time i was like well maybe i throw the 33 on there, there you know <laughs> just made sure that that stuck on flyers and just kept pushing that more and uh Wow. I'd even correct people if they forgot it, you know, hey, make sure to put that 33 on there. Cause... Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. So when when people, if there is like a stereotype towards a graffiti artists, is there like a age range that people usually think of when they're like, oh, this is how old this person must be if they're graffiti-ing?
1: Um, They obviously just don't know the history because there's still there's hobo train riders who are in their 60s and 70s who still paint and still put stuff on trains wow yeah
0: is it is graffiti as a whole a rebellious thing or do you think it's more of a we have just to express how you feel or
1: yeah graffiti for sure is a rebellious thing because graffiti by definition is um is illegal you know, so anytime you see a mural that looks like graffiti, if it was legal, it's not graffiti at that point. It's a, it's just a mural. It's just, you know. But graffiti, um, being rebellious, yeah. Uh, I hope that there will always be because there is now, there will always be a intermingling of all the worlds. Or subgenres of graffiti I should say because there mm-hmm. there's graffiti artists out there who want to just bomb and put you know put their name up it doesn't matter as ugly as it is or whatever you know they just want to put it up as many places as possible and then there's artists who want to like form a career and you know do uh, and be known and and not not anonymous or whatever right. And so I just hope there is always they're always able those two worlds are able to be uh, respectful towards each other and stuff because yeah there seems to be like if you think about it in the world there's some separation once there's you take hip hop right um, it started as one thing and then you get the subgenres of it or even rock and roll you get the mm-hmm. subgenres of rock and roll but when it started off as you know, one thing and then it branches off into chaotic um, subgenres that eventually sometimes those subgenres end up being at each other it's like you know i just hope that for art's sake there's because muralists they could be hard on bombers and go like you know little vandals or whatever you know and then bombers mm-hmm. could be going man Get your mural, you know, you're gentrifying this this wall. This wall's for the community or something, you know what I mean? Like so everyone has a voice, and I hope they can always coexist in peace.
0: Do you think that hip hop, skateboarding, and graffiti gets clumped together for the right or wrong reasons?
1: Skateboarding led me to graffiti. Graffiti led me to making beats and everything. You know, like everything leads to one, one thing leads to another as long as you have the ability to make good decisions for yourself in the world. I think everything means something to the individual. Like, I, for instance, I used to work a few dead end jobs. Um, in construction, sheetrock and framing, or um, doing uh, carpentry and and remodels and stuff, right? Well, that led me to learning how to use a scissor lift and man lift, you know, boom lift and stuff. So now that now I can do that with my murals, I now I'm not um, I am experienced in that area, or, you know. So it's all it's all relative. It all makes. uh... I think skateboarding led me to a lot of what what I am now. Wow, that's also why I painted that Mark Hubbard box. You know, he uh, when I was a kid, skateboarding, he was uh, a neighborhood um, staple for us, and we would buy skateboards from him when we break a deck or something because he had like a little underground skateboard company, and we would go and skate his. He also had like a big um, a bowl in his backyard, um, so we would go in his backyard and skate in his, on his in his swimming pool that he made for skateboarding. You know, so yeah, it all it all leads to, like when you're a kid, these little things that you do. You you end up an evolved version of that, is my, mm. is my theory, you know. Part of the journey. Yeah.
0: So how how hard is it to actually rent one of those lifts to paint a mural? Is it like as easy as just, like, looking it up online, or?
1: Yeah, you just call the the spots. There's a few different spots. There's, like, um, All Star. um, There's a couple different spots you can call, on. it's just a a cost. They don't care if you even know how to operate it. They'll just drop it off (laughs) where you say, and they'll say, okay, keep it charged. We'll be back for it on this other, you know, this day. (laughs) Or call us when you want us to pick it up or whatever. You go, All right.
0: (laughs) That's funny as fuck. I did not know you
1: that. You the keys, yeah. It's you're renting it, you know. So, but eventually, I'm gonna just buy one, you know. Damn. I'm gonna buy two. I'm gonna get a scissor lift and a, a boom lift that way. If I need to go do something, it's not a cost to me.
0: Damn. How would you drop it off? Can you drive it like on the freeway or something, or do you have to like? No,
1: how you would get you get, it to... get a little uh little trailer like a flat flatbed trailer? Um, Mm. and then just pull it with a truck.
0: (laughs) That sounds dope.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because I'm trying to eventually get it set up where I'll be pretty self-sufficient other than if I could learn how to make my own paint, Mm. that would be the other step. And brushes and stuff, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, for me, the focus is more like sustainability. Um like when all this quarantine happened, one of the first things I did was went and bought a bunch of paint because, you know, half of, half of what people got going on in the world is because and, and the stuff we get to do is because um, store doors are open. And then also things are getting delivered to people's houses now so get ready for a lot of stores to close.
0: I was just talking about that with my family like you know how people can look back at like fucking Blockbuster and be like dude you don't you don't understand how what it was like to be able to walk into like a just walk into a movie store and actually take time to look at movies and it was like a whole it was like an adventure like what if we fucking look back at grocery stores or like fucking Safeway or anything and be like yeah we used to talk to the cashier and walk through aisles And now we just press a button on our phone. Like...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... uh, Because once the whole system is automated like that, um, what happens when, like, the cord is pulled? Um, So what I'm trying to work on is kind of having my house be my kingdom and be kind of self-sustainable. Like, I want to eventually... Pretty soon here, actually... (laughs) get chickens, like, I'm in the process of building a chicken coop, and, uh, we have, you know, our gardens going. And also just knowing all your neighbors, being friendly with your neighbors, making sure that you got each other's backs, because in the end, like, I want them to know that, hey, I'm going to try to keep extra crops coming, so if you guys, you know, if the grocery stores do close, and Becky and, and David over here needs some, some, uh, cucumbers or something or some extra eggs like here because we're going to have to be able to feed each other in the end Mm -hmm. um and i just you know the the delivery stuff there's a side effect to all that you know it's like a lot of trucks gonna gonna be out there riding around delivering things individually to people's houses now uh and even like the masks, like I wear those in establishments, but I make sure that it's a uh, it's a mask that I can fit the little filter in, you know, that I'm reusing. I'm not using any of those um, uh, disposable Blue ones because ones. those are yeah. gonna just go into a landfill. And like I think about all that stuff, and I kind of cringe, you know. Mhm. But we're here, you know. And this is
0: just this is just the beginning. It's so fucking weird that things are just gonna. Keep getting more whack.
1: Yeah, but humans are <laughs> adaptive, you know, like we'll see what, what happens. I just hope that people start really thinking with their own mind and not uh not just being too much a part of group think, you know, like just be self sufficient, maybe even shut their, their TVs and computers off for a few days at a time. Yeah. You know? Might yes. cool. just love their life a little more. That way they can love the thing people and things around them I
2: don't
1: know I think we'll make it out you know uh, and things will get crazy but there's going to be a lot of people who want to keep their heads on straight
0: so what have you learned the most out of this whole quarantine and coronavirus so far
1: I've learned to just keep following my instincts and uh and focus on my family be uh, try not and really this is the ultimate test in patience and stress management uh, you know like most people out there people out there with uh, problems they want to talk to people about their problems Well, with all this like social distancing there's not a lot of people that who who used to be able to talk to their friends and stuff. Some of those people now are just stuck with their own thoughts, you know. And I'm kind of used to it because I'm an introvert, as it is. Um, Or at least I like to claim I'm an introvert. It's hard to get me outside of my shell sometimes, but so I'm kind of used to this whole, like, uh, hanging out, you know. Mm focusing on little projects and stuff but also i served time i've served prison time for graffiti
0: wow what tell me about that
1: yeah so which i mean not that it's like directly you know but it i mean that period of my life also helped me for this period in my life Hmm. you know that kind of thing i believe in but uh yeah no i um i was like I said, I was pretty dumb with the graffiti, or reckless, I should say, not dumb. And uh, and I went and did a bunch of graffiti um, one night in Bellingham, and I served my time for it. You know, they, they gave me some felonies for the amount of damage that I did. And uh, so, yeah, um, Bellingham didn't like that.
0: <laughs> it's a college town, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and this was back in 2001. You know, um, there was a big, like, uh, I should say, uh, witch hunt on graffiti writers around that time, you know, and we were pretty, I was pretty crazy. Most of the people I hung out with weren't as crazy as me when it came to wanting to do reckless graffiti, but, so yeah, that night I went and did a bunch of graffiti. I shot myself in the foot. And ended up getting a year and a day sentence. They wanted to make an example out of me and send me to prison instead of, because I had been, you know, busted a few times before that. They just said, he's not going to stop. We're going to have to put him in the big house. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and so that, yeah, I mean, so being, that was like quarantine and isolating type. Situation, you know, except for being around people in prison, mm-hmm. but um, but then yeah, so this quarantine is situation has kind of taught me a lot about that. It's also opened my eyes to just doing my own research and having my own perspective on things, and not paying attention to any media propaganda, and not paying any attention to any of that. Just really, and and also trying to put little puzzle pieces together on why things are happening in a certain way and why, you know, what is this, what's the bigger picture here if you follow things through down, further down the stream and we keep on this route, what does that lead to? Like, I've been thinking of those things and scenarios. And...
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, um, I feel like it's weird that I feel like the information's all there and I think it's weird that some people are just ignore the information and I just it, make, it just it confuses me.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, for me what I do, I take the information in and make my own assumptions and and act accordingly, but like for instance, I'm doing you should see like the amount of vitamins I take on a day. A daily basis.
0: Same. I took a lot too, just since quarantine started. And
1: I, I mean, before quarantine, I was taking them because I was having this issue with my hip and, you know, I went and got, um, MRIs. I went and got all kinds of stuff done to try to figure it out and they couldn't figure it out. So the whole time I have been, I've been taking, uh, crazy vitamins and stuff and just treating myself very healthy. Like, uh, you know, I only put water in my body now, liquids wise, mm-hmm. only water. Um, every once in a while I'll have like a sip of some other stuff. Um, but I don't like drink alcohol anymore. Maybe a a glass of wine, like once every two, three months or something, you know, glass of wine, which I'll probably, I'll probably start drinking a little more wine here and there. (laughs) But, you know, and I, I mean, the worst thing I do is smoke weed, but other than that, um, like I'm really healthy on myself. I take this stuff that's that's really good called Stamit Seven, and it's seven mm. different types of uh, mushroom mycelium, and uh, basically it's host defense. So like, ever since I've been taking it, there I haven't felt sick or at all like by by any means. And my son, you know, he's and this is like I've been taking it for probably a year and a half now or something, and my son, you know, coming to and from school he's been sick a bunch a couple times you know and i didn't get it and stuff. Mm. so it's kind of like some like it's a little experiment of mine if i keep taking this stuff like let's see how long i can go without ever getting any ailments you know for sure um and then just eating right you know staying mm. away from fast food and eating um eating as healthy a protein as i can
0: yeah i've been realizing because i haven't I just started noticing it. I've never been like a huge fast food eater, but um I think I officially quit a few months ago cuz I just really took time during this quarantine to think about the people who are getting sick are usually people who already have some type of illness or disease, usually overweight, and just I'm just like looking at things and I fast food like even the payoff like when you're eating it, it's all right but even like the minute after you just don't feel good you could, you could it's not even like real meat and shit like french like, fries of course yeah, those are good i but. try
1: not to judge people for what they put in their bodies and stuff but i mean there's numerous things that people should cut out of their their daily habits if they care mm-hmm. about themselves because the masks they're putting on most of the masks are aren't aren't uh, the proper type of masks that will save them from this thing anyways. But number two is, same people who are, you know, yelling at people for not wearing a mask might be eating McDonald's every day and waking up smoking cigarettes and, you know, like, come on, let's be realistic. There's a mirror people should be looking at right now. Mm -hmm. You know, so.
0: Are you worried about sending your son back to school when it starts up in the next... Month, month and a half. Um, what are your opinions on all
1: that? He's gonna be doing following their curriculum of mainly homeschooling. Um, mm-hmm. We're gonna get him together with his friends to play and stuff like that, you know. Um, but if they, have, if if public schools ever try to issue some type of mandate, vaccine, or anything like that, he he won't be going back there. And, and it's evident it would be evident what what they're what they're trying to do here is really separate the masses in between, and and it's always been a war on the middle class right so what it is is hey eliminate public schools then there's only private schools mm-hmm. or if you go to public schools it's going to be from home and your teacher is going to be on a screen Mm. You know, and then at that point, because the the emails that we've been getting from Seattle Public Schools are all about how kids are going to be at at homes homeschooled or or a combination of half day um, every other day at school, and then the the rest of it online stuff. So mm. everything I see is is that most public schools aren't really going to come back until until something changes but really you know my, my perspective on all this is that and it's rough to say this I'll say it publicly but I think most of what we're dealing with is very manufactured like like who, who owned the, the lab in Wuhan where's the name mm-hmm. on that dotted line why don't we see that you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: who is doing that research who is paying for the research where it leaked out of we don't see that. Where's the accountability for that? Those people should have the death penalty in my in my opinion because that's the risk you take for doing that research.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You just doomed half the, you know a lot of the planet. you should die. <laughs> that's my, my weird you know artistic perspective on on the whole thing, but um, instead, they want to shut down all kinds of economy. All kinds of people's, you know, infrastructure is going to suffer. All people's lives are going to suffer, right? And um, when you look at the data, I got it over here somewhere. It's like, Mm -hmm. man, 40 million people tested positive in our country. Um, Out of that, you know, very small, what, a couple hundred thousand or a hundred thousand some Mm -hmm. plus people died. Which shows that the mortality rate is is like zero point zero seven or something like that. So it's like if you're under the age of eighty, you have a better chance of dying from lightning strike. (laughs) You know all this all this when you research the data or like you see the spike. Mm
0: -hmm. The main
1: spike was in March, and then it starts to go down. Right, we're in Mm -hmm. summer they aren't even talking about mosquitoes that transmit the virus right there should be a huge spike coming no huge spike because herd immunity Cause, and you know maybe even maybe even this is something that everyone's had for years and now they just want to test people to give people the fear that it's going to kill everyone and then everyone signs up for whatever just to get the fear off their back you know what i mean yeah. and then they mandate a vaccine i mean there's all kinds of shit where i just go it doesn't have to go down like this.
0: It's all trial and error, error right now anyways. Like I don't think people realize that right now is a huge test run of like opening everything back up. And everyone everyone's proving the fucking government right that, that people are idiots and the beaches are completely packed. The beach fucking the restaurants. That's to
1: be too, man, cuz for real <laughs> deal, like listen to ancient philosophy, beaches have healing, healing properties. What? Yeah. Beaches have healing properties Go sink your, your feet in the sand at the beach For a day Go hang out with your family in the sand on the beach Go in the water a little bit Tell me you don't feel better and recharged For like a long time after mm. It's all Dude, I'm telling you There's a lot going on Where I just go like People just gotta make up their own minds And stop listening to all this fear factor stuff That's gonna keep them all in their bubble you know and then and yeah. then on top of it, you know I do th- I do know the facts behind um, if you go too far with sanitizing yourself and, and your surroundings that that makes your immune system weakened because it doesn't have the proper muscles to to fight off some of the harder things that it's going to encounter
2: mm-hmm.
1: And so people the effects of what's going on right now, people sanitizing their shit too much. We'll see what happens in the future from that. People are going to be all kinds of um, not ready for a, even a small flu, you know, or, like, I don't know. I just, I've always been under the understanding that we adapt through repetition. Our bodies, you know, like, if you never run around the block, then running around the block is going to seem pretty hectic. <laughs> so you just gotta run around the block all the time it doesn't seem hectic and that's like what I think a lot of what nature is about if you look at how things endure um, different things in evolution and then so like if there's a lot of whatever um, like your fingernails you know that in evolution I believe we started having fingernails as a tool because we didn't have them at one point so our bodies eventually started giving us stronger fingernails and and, you know like that type of thing like it's because of the it's because of the um, hard, or not it's because of the difficulties in life that you reach that in your DNA through generations if they keep reaching those same difficulties then your body's gonna gonna respond and adapt to that Mm -hmm. so I just feel like viruses being as it is a fact we have thousands of them in our body that's through evolution you know like their theory on on the greys the aliens is that they've lived for billions of years right Mm -hmm. their bodies have that the theory is that the grays um, exist with so many viruses that if you were to actually shake hands with the gray, that you would die because your body wouldn't have any immunity towards the viruses that you just contacted. And it makes makes sense when you think about the, the tribes that are isolated on islands on our planet, and if you send someone there, they all get sick and die because one person contacted them. Damn. That's what I'm saying. This I, I believe in the herd immunity thing, but I believe that, you know, it is smart to wear masks so that it the process of the virus getting weak is has its own evolution because if everyone encounters it at once then everyone doesn't have the antibodies right away, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a few people get it here, a few people get it there, then when that virus is trying to spread to another person, it hits the antibody. It hits someone with the antibody and it gets weak.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't get into this body. Well, then, by the time it gets to an older person or someone with a weakened immune system, that virus is so weak, it doesn't even affect them. Or, or, or they get sick on a just random scale. And that also shows why most of the people who are, who are testing positive right now, most of them have no symptoms. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: Because her body's just taking in the virus and going oh we'll add it to the add it to the the <laughs> thousands that we got right now.
0: Shit that's crazy
1: but that, <laughs> that's my own assumption of the science and doing my own research, but I'm not a scientist and I can just mm-hmm. <clears throat> I can just hope that that's right. And if my assumption's right, then most people have had it and not even known it you know mm-hmm.
0: I always think it's funny when people are like, oh yeah I, I think I had it back in December they could have but i just think it's who knows
1: could be a lot of my friends got sick back then it was like it was horrible you know and i was like all right you could have had it man (laughs) give me a hug you know like i don't like my friends do and the social distancing thing um like in public i do it out of respect because i know people are going through fear right now and i know that and this is the other trippy thing is the psychological effect that I know about um, you know road rage tends to happen because subliminally people or subconsciously people know that one wrong move and they could die when they're behind the wheel
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that person in that other car just almost killed you in your head but you don't you know so you react accordingly um, well right now people. Are at the same cliff's edge with wearing a mask in public, or social distancing. If you get close to me, you just risk my life, buddy. You know what I mean. So yeah. I t- I respect people. You don't know what they could be going through in life. They could be really and there you could be standing next to someone who does have a really bad immune system or something. You know. So I mm-hmm. I respect it um, in public, but. Out on the sidewalk, I'm taking my mask off because psychologically seeing all these people walking around in sunlight in a mask or they don't need to be, you only need that mask when you're in close quarters with people you know mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that's the thing that people need to check themselves and go, hey, we should take this mask off because how much do you want it ingrained in your normal life now after this because we do this for a couple of years and better believe it becomes a normal like fashion thing like a hat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? So, I mean, and not saying that it should be villainized either. If someone wants to wear that as a, as a fashion statement, they go ahead and wear it, you know, like to each his own. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that um, it looks like a muzzle to me. It looks like everyone is Scorpion and Sub-Zero. you know or or everyone is um shredder from ninja turtles or something you know and you can't see anyone smiling anymore and that's probably the big thing is that like i'm i like to spread positive energy and when i'm walking around i feel like people are they could be happy (laughs) i i can't tell unless you smile with your eyes
0: for sure well, I do know that your fucking murals, anytime I see them, it always makes me happy. I think they there's just something about them. I think whether it's purposefully or not purposefully, you've just you've done a great job with
1: them. I appreciate that. Like, really. It honestly has been the the only thing in my life that has provided some clarity to a sense of purpose and also like my music. Right? Like when I was making music, the type of music I made, I could, I can't expect to get, you know, get too deep into some, like, I can't expect someone to come up in tears and say, you saved, you know, you helped me in this, you know. I can't expect that. With the art, when it happened, because it's happened a few times where people come up to me in tears or whatever, with the art I go, I can understand what they're feeling because it's actually... The icon that I painted, or the person that I painted, that I I did it enough justice that you know it it struck a chord with them. So it like when those things have happened, it just makes me go, I gotta keep doing this until the casket drops. You know, it's like for me um, because I took a big risk to do the first two boxes that I painted. And it's not just the box art I'm talking about, because eventually I'm going to run out of boxes to paint. <laughs> but I'm talking about, like, the mural work. I know it touches people. Um, and I'm super appreciative. You know, like, I'd, I'm just grateful that I have the ability to paint like that, you know, because... It's beautiful. I think there's a lot of artists out there who, who, like, really... Mm-hmm. They try a long time to strike a chord with people, and it's not even that my art's doing it really too. It's more that um, the notion of painting the mural and the person themselves that I'm painting half the time. Mm-hmm. But eventually maybe the art is gonna that I'm painting is gonna move towards more of like a it struck an emotion because not because of the person I'm painting but because of the subject matter or the you know or the way I painted it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, tell me the reasoning behind the George Floyd mural.
1: Yeah, the George Floyd um I painted that just after right after seeing the the video. I realized, you know, like I have this box sitting up there that I should that I had, had a permit for. Um that I should go paint him on, you know. Just give some I really cuz I have a few boxes still to paint and locations that I have permits for. And I mm-hmm. kind of racked my brain about which box would facilitate uh, more of like a shrine setting, because I know that that that's when something like this happens that people want somewhere to go to mourn and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I thought of that box being a pretty good good spot for that. Um, and just realized I should go do it now or as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, and it looks great. I don't think. You've done many boxes that you put words on. What was the meaning behind putting the, his last words on that box?
1: Yeah, I put his words on there. Um, I So I took, when when I was going to do the box, I took his photo and those words and put them into an image so that I could um, superimpose them onto a, a digital reference of the box so that I could see, you know, to scale what I was going to paint.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I wanted to put that on there because it's like there's a right around the corner there, there's a police precinct, King County Police Precinct. And my first idea, really, to tell you the truth, was to make a stencil of George Floyd's face that I could do on numerous boxes mm-hmm. and go put them on the closest boxes that I could to all the precincts in Seattle. That's what I wanted to do. Um, so I just did that portrait realizing how just, you know, cause I was really, I mean, after seeing that video, anyone who, who wasn't moved to do something is kind of, I wouldn't say heartless, <laughs> they're just, you know, well, they're probably just dealing with it in their own way, but it's a traumatizing thing. Right. You know, and I just, I realized that I should probably go paint something nice for the guy, you know, and not only that, um knowing what what anger people were feeling and where that could take people, I just wanted like something that I knew to be um like good art, you know, for him. Mm -hmm. Put it somewhere, you know. And then but the words, uh that's just a reminder to the police who might be leaving that precinct. Like how do you not hear someone saying those words with your knee on their neck and cuffs on you know like how do you you're obviously murdering the person so I mean it just felt like the right thing to put and then later I knew I was going to cover it I'm still going to do some more work on the box Um, but I was waiting for Cause there was like a lot of candles and trying, you know, like uh, flowers and stuff that were building up and I didn't want to go have to move the, that stuff and paint and then put all the stuff back. Um, so uh, yeah, basically I'm going to fill it up with flowers. Um, I put rest in peace down there just cause I did actually um, have someone hit me up and say, uh, my daughter really likes that George Floyd portrait, but she can't, um, she can't look at it because of the words the um, the words um, scared her and yeah. when I thought about that I just went okay I should probably go start putting the flowers up around the bottom because I know that with those when people do like little memorial shrines for people they don't always last you know for years and years so I want to put around the base of the whole thing just a lot of flowers you wow. know what I mean so that those will always be there.
0: Damn. I think you have a beautiful mind, for real.
1: Thanks. <laughs> I try to be uh, a little more sentimental than others. Like, I don't know. Um, it's dope. It's a trip, though, because I know that... <laughs> I know there's not ever one, You know, there's never two people on the planet that think the same. And you should, no one should expect each other to, because we all have different experiences. Um, but if everyone could really just take, a, take some time during each day to just, like, uh, and usually during the start of their day is a good time, just think about the things you're thankful for. I know people have heard this from other people before, but it really does work. Think about the things you're thankful for, and then just try to live an honest, like, honorable life where you don't have anything that you have to keep in the closet really you know what I mean like you can if you think about like if you live as best as you can you're still gonna cut some corners in life and not know it you know you're still gonna create some garbage you're still gonna you know. so do your best I guess um, but don't stress over it you still gotta love life Um, you know like there's people out there who smoke cigarettes right Just because it's a bad habit, for some people, that's the only thing that they have a little bit of happiness in life is when they get to smoke or something, you know? And so Mm -hmm. you take that away from them, then what do they got? (laughs) And so, I mean, I don't think people should, as they're cleaning their lifestyle up, they shouldn't be looking at everyone else and judging and shit, you know? Like, I think that's really the wrong thing there. Just look within them, within themselves, and think about what they can change. And change is super uncomfortable for most people. Like, when I after I got out of prison, I didn't really have a good foot to start with. Um, before that, I was working, like, random, you know, dead-end jobs, and then i get out of prison, and I, I'm like, where do I start now? So, like, obviously doing construction and then doing, like, I was doing office furniture installation and just random stuff, and, Yeah, you just realize at some point like there's just more to life I I think at some point I shifted everything to realizing that karma is a very legit real thing and that if you don't believe in it look at your lifestyle after you do believe in it Mm. start you know shifting because like to me my lifestyle sucked man like I was dude like there was they didn't expect much of me my parents and everyone you know like and then once I started to focus on like no and be a good person or like for instance see a guy drop a wallet on the ground and pick the wallet up and tell him he dropped his wallet here you know like those little things like you you feel like a better person for doing that stuff and so, the universe shifts and starts to to answer your question, or you know, answer your demands of it, pretty much. Is the way I look at it.
0: For sure, man. I think you, you hit the nail on the head on a lot of topics today, man. And um, I, I was really excited to talk to you and just to like know more about the meaning behind your artwork and.
1: I explain. Everything like that Blank. has
0: really opened my eyes too.
1: You're awesome, man.
0: Thank you. Well. This is the NAS Podcast with
1: Desmond Hansen.